Hello, everybody, and welcome to Parks Pod. My name's Austin Parkinson, and what a wild British Open we saw this past week. Carnoustie did not disappoint. Final round, fireworks, Tiger Woods showing vintage form, looking like he might make a run of old, only to falter under the pressure. Credit to Dan Beret. He joined us last week on the podcast. He picked as his dark horse, Francesco Molinari, two under in the final round, battled the conditions, and came away with his first major. So credit to Dan for his accuracy and his picks. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by one of my oldest friends, a former professional baseball player. I'm excited to tackle several different topics with him, what it was like to be a closer, what it was like to play in the playoffs, and what's it like in a major league baseball brawl. So when we come back from the break, you're going to hear from an old friend of mine, Joe Thatcher. First guest this week joining the pod is a good friend of mine from uh, my days in Kokomo. We grew up playing AAU basketball together. Uh, went on in a different path, different direction, and uh, ended up being one of the best baseball players to ever come out of Kokomo. He went on to Indiana State University and then played nine seasons of Major League Baseball. My good friend Joe Thatcher. Joe, welcome to the podcast. AP, thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to talk to you. It's We go back a long, long time, and so uh, I'm happy to be here today. Long time. A lot of those uh, AAU trips, uh, riding in vans and different things. But, uh, well, I want to touch on a lot of different subjects with you, and I want to get into your baseball career. But you started off and uh, share with everybody this new venture. Uh, you retired a couple years ago from, from Major League Baseball, and you've got something really exciting uh, on the horizon that I think is going to have a, a major impact uh, on, on our state as a whole, but specifically here uh, in central Indiana. Yeah, so um, the post-playing post, post playing days retirement project um, is building a company called ProX Athlete Development, um, and we're building a 60,000-square-foot athlete training center um, inside of Grand Park in Westfield, Indiana. Um, and really the, the concept behind uh, what ProX is is providing everything that an athlete needs in one location and and the integration of everybody involved in an athlete's development in the same building so um the three major components of of pro x the heart and soul of what we're doing is really uh building better athletes and so um you know we're having a full strength and conditioning staff a 3,000 square foot weight room uh we have a partnership with methodist sports um so we will have uh physical therapy sports rehab in inside the building as well um and, and not only building better athletes but making sure that we're doing things in a in a safe way and um so you know we're, we'll, we'll train all athletes all ages all skill levels all sports um, and really, um, you know, this, the sports performance industry is it's an innovative kind of cutting edge, um, you know, industry. And uh, frankly, you know, it's Indiana and some parts of the Midwest are kind of behind the curve. And so that's really my goal is to bring the, the highest level 
the elite level of training to central Indiana and, and expose it to um, all athletes. So we'll, the heart and soul of what we're doing is the sports performance and the rehab and physical therapy, making sure things are done in a safe manner, uh, but then also having uh, the space and the, and the ability to do some sports-specific instruction. So uh, we're having 35,000 square feet of open turf, uh, 22 batting cages, two full swing golf simulators. Um, so obviously with, with my background, we'll have a heavy a heavy emphasis on baseball, but I've also got um, so two former Colts players involved. So we're going to have a full football division. Uh, we'll have golf, a golf division. Um, so it's really the idea of becoming a better athlete, making sure you're healthy and being able to practice all in the same building and under the same roof and everybody's integrated in that athlete's development. Well, I can tell you as somebody that recruits, you know, players on a regular basis, um, you know, you're seeing kids go multiple places for strength and conditioning in the morning and then do their specific trainer in the afternoon. So I can imagine to have everything under one location in one building will make life a lot easier um, on parents. The other part about it being up in, in, you know, with that grand park, they have a lot of tournaments, a lot of games, but to be able to have that level of training. The other question I wanted to ask you with it is how is that? And, and it's going to cover a lot of different sports. You mentioned golf and some of the others, but f- for picture yourself growing up um, with aspirations of, of playing, you know, professional baseball or college baseball, how specifically will, um, this new new place uh, that you're opening uh, benefit uh, a high school baseball player. Yeah, so you know, like I mentioned earlier, the the level of uh, exposure that athletes have um, to what what's out there training wise, um, you know, India, like I said, Indiana's behind behind the curve, and so um, you know, like I said, it's an innovative, cutting edge field, and so you know. It, I think a lot of people think that, you know, that they're, you know, that training for them is just going to their local gym and doing bicep curls and squats. And, um, as you know, the, the sports performance industry is a lot more than just, you know, getting stronger and building muscle. It's making sure, you know, that you have, you know, the, the hip mobility, um, the thoracic spine mobility, making sure that your body, you know, can handle, you know, becoming bigger and stronger and faster, all the extra force that's applied, you know, w- with movements when you're, when you get stronger and, um, you know, just, and like I said, to making sure that things are done in a healthy way, um, especially when it comes to baseball, um, you know, the, you know, the, the arm issues, the, the Tommy John surgeries, um, you know, it, there's a lot of risk to arms um, for high school kids. And so, you know, working with uh, one of my co-founders is Dr. Jamie Gordon, who was he was my off-season trainer for seven or eight years. And um, he's a doctor in physical therapy, but also strength and conditioning certified. So, um, it, you know, him and I trained together for a, a lot of winners. And, you know, I got to the point where I trusted him so much that uh, I just put basically put my career in his hands and every off season i'd show up come home we'd set goals and expectations and then i'd show up every day and just ask him you know what are we doing today and whatever he told me to do i trusted him you know that that i would just i'd do it and every year no matter what our goal was we saw results at the end of the winter so um you know having him involved in this kind of overseeing our sports performance department um you know he he really is the the best around at what he does so 
And so, like I said, it's it's taking the the sports performance side of it and making sure that athletes get bigger and stronger and faster, but making sure also that they're doing it in a healthy way. And I think that's the that's the biggest thing that um, you know that we're going to offer is you know that that integration together. Well, I'll add something to that. I mean, I, I think you know, like I said, when when I see these kids coming into college that I coach, um, I see a lot of kids with injuries. Um, you know, they're playing especially basketball. You know, sometimes four games a day. Um, but the other thing is, is learning how to eat properly and then utilizing the strength and conditioning, not just from, you know, bigger, stronger, faster, but from an, uh, an injury prevention standpoint. So, um, uh, it sounds like, uh, uh, you know, pro X is going to be awesome. I, you know, you talked to me about it before and, um, you know, I just think uh, it'll be something that athletes here in the Midwest are going to be really excited about and looking to take advantage. I want to I want to touch on and go back, um, you know, and go through your career. And I think, you know, I've had a lot of guests on the podcast that are, you know, of a basketball background, but you're my first baseball player. And so people may not know you were a really good basketball player as well. At what point in your high school career or younger, whenever, um, did you kind of say, Hey, you know what? I, I think I'm going to go down the path of, of, uh, I want to be, you know, I want to play at the next level for baseball. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Like growing up, you know, obviously you and I spent a lot of time on a basketball court together and traveling and, um, you know, uh, growing up, I would spend you know nine months out of the year playing basketball, and when it was baseball season, it was baseball season. Um, there weren't a lot of resources available, you know, here, which is kind of the idea behind Pro X um, is letting it, you know, baseball players be able to practice and train year round. But um, you know, baseball and basketball were both, you know, both my loves growing up, and that's that's really all we did was just just play those two sports and um but you know my, my dad played college baseball and baseball was um kind of my first love and it was um you know we'd my dad and i'd spend nights together watching baseball games and talking baseball and that was kind of our our bond together um so as much as i like basketball you know baseball was really my true love um but like I said, you know, spent nine months out of the year playing basketball, traveling around, and um, you know, I really enjoyed those days playing playing basketball. And um, I think, you know, looking back on it, I think, you know, the base basketball was really um, instrumental in my development as an athlete because I think, you know, that just really learning how to compete. I don't, I don't think there's a better game than basketball that can, you know, teach, teach a young kid, you know, what it, what it really means to compete. Cause it's, you know, you're out there and it's physical and it's fast moving. And, um, you know, as this, as opposed to baseball where, you know, you have time to think about every pitch that you're going to make. And, um, you know, so playing basketball, I really believe, you know, helped me become a better baseball player growing up. Um, and as far as, you know, kind of when that transition was made, uh, you know, when I realized that, you know, I think baseball was the path that I was going to go down, uh, really wasn't until my junior year of high school. And, um, you know, I, I got the opportunity, got invited to play on uh, for a team and organization called the Indiana Bulls, who at the time were the, the premier um amateur baseball organization in the state and so i had the opportunity to go play with the bulls um but my 16 year old summer and you know it was 
like we had kids from Evansville and South Bend throughout the whole state. And so being, uh, being invited to play on that, that team was, a uh, you know, that was a big opportunity for me, but it was also a big commitment. You know, it was a lot of, a lot of traveling. Um, it was a lot of, you know, it, a financial commitment from my parents and so i remember um you know before i committed to playing you know sitting down at the dinner table and talking <clears throat> with you know my parents and um you know just kind of making that decision there that you know that i had this opportunity and you know playing you know moving forward to college um you know i, I was more naturally you know more naturally drawn to being a better a better baseball player um and so that was kind of the the day we made that decision um that you know i was going to commit as much time as i possibly could becoming the best baseball player that i could so um you know like with my physical attributes um you know I've, I wouldn't have been a very successful um, college basketball player. Uh, being 6'2 and slow um, is not a good combination. Um, so I think I ended up making the right choice. <laughs> well, you could have been a specialist. People don't know you were a sweet <laughs> shooting lefty. They'd have brought you in to be a zone buster. But uh, uh, I would have been the, uh, the guys on the end of the bench that ran out on the court to <laughs> celebrate with everybody. Strong fist pump game. <laughs> well, holding, holding, holding the bench back, making sure they didn't run out on the field are on the court. Well, you know, you talked about your dad and, uh, you know, I, I, your dad's one of my favorite people growing up. Um, very similarly though, we both experienced, you know, my dad played college basketball, your dad played college baseball. You know, I, I think there are so many positives, obviously. Um, but there's also some challenges having a, a father that had, you know, blazed a path before you. What was it like having a dad that played, um, at the next level? And then also, um, you ended up, uh, going to college at a place that he played. What were the pressures, you know, growing up and then kind of, as you made that choice going to college? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously both of our dads, we were in similar, similar situations. Um, but you know, I, I never really did feel pressure, um, from that, you know, I, I think um, it's probably the same way with you. Um, that you know, obviously they wanted us to be the best we could, and they, um, but they drove us to be good. But I don't think there was any any you know hard pressure that um, you know you're you're playing basketball, you're playing baseball, and that's it. That's what we're doing. I think we were allowed to kind of make our choices you know, along the way of how much we wanted to commit to it. And um, I, I think them, you know, having a, an experienced father like that, that you can, somebody you can rely on when they tell you something, you know, you know that um, it's only, it's only going to help you. Um, but I, I think, you know, my dad was hands off enough too to let me, let me develop that love of those sports by myself. Um, and so, I mean, there were times when, you know, he would get on me a little bit, but it was always from the standpoint of that I wasn't playing hard. Um, that, that was the only time he ever really would get on me was, you know, if I committed to playing in a game or practice and I didn't give it everything that I had um, was the only time he really was kind of got on me. And so it would never he never get on me for losing or for making mistakes. Um, it was really just all about, you know, effort and, you know, if I committed to doing something, making sure that I put a hundred percent into it. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, sports is a great way for a father and son, you know, to connect and to bond and spend time together and, and, and have a passion for the same thing. So, um, you know, 
those days of, you know, whether it's basketball or baseball, you know, traveling around and when they're coaching you and competing together, you know, that those days are, you know, still some of the best days I've ever had playing, playing sports was back in those days. Um, but yeah, my dad played at Indiana state. Um, and so, um, when, when I got recruited by Indiana state and, you know, I knew that's where, where I wanted to go. I kind of wanted to follow in his, his footsteps. And, um, we had actually played for, played for the same coach. So that was something, something really cool. Uh, my dad was coach Bob Warren, who's now in the Indiana hall of fame. Uh, my dad was his, his first college recruit. And uh, then I was, um, you know, he lasted, he was there a long time. And, um, I was, his last season was my senior year. So, um, it was really cool to, to have that same connection. And, um, you know, Indiana state baseball, the program was always part of, you know, part of our family growing up, but we'd go back for alumni weekends and get, you know, we were always in, in touch and, you know, had a close relationship with the Warren family. So, um, you know, I had, had a few other opportunities to play college, different colleges. Um, I wasn't highly recruited by any means. Um, but once, <clears throat> once Indiana state called and said they wanted me to come there to play, I knew that's, that's where I was going to go. So basically what you're saying is your dad, um, started coach Warren's career with a lot of hope. And then, uh, you basically retired. And and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he had, after having me for four years, he had, he had had enough and decided it was time to move on. Well, during your career, you start out, you know, in, in high school, you were a, a starting pitcher and then uh, you go to Indiana state. Walk me through the process of, of during those four years, uh, you know, going from a starter and then eventually correct me if I'm wrong, but you ended up, I think toward the end of your career in the closer role, what, what is that process like? Because you go from, you know, kind of being the man on your high school team to now, um, everybody, uh, was typically one of the best or if not the best player in their high school team and now lumped into their college team and then shifting into, you know, going out of the bullpen and, and the shifting mentality that that takes, um, from being a starter. Yeah. So, um, you know, you show up to your first day at college and obviously it's a, you know, it's a big time in any person's life, but, you know, also being, you know, involved in a, on a team and, and stepping into a college program. Um, you know, I, I just remember, you know, showing up and just want to be able to contribute any way that you could. Um, you know, you didn't know what to expect. Um, but I, you know, for me, I was, I just kind of showed up and took that same mentality that I always had that I'm just going to do everything I can as, as good as I can put every ounce of effort into it and see what happens. And, um, yeah, I was, had a good, you know, had a good start to my career. Good, you know, good first freshman year fall. And, um, for whatever reason, the, co the coaches saw something in me. And, um, so once the spring rolled around my freshman year, they, you know, they told me that I was, I had made the starting rotation and I was going to start the second game of the year. Um, and so I was really kind of surprised by that. Um, but obviously that was a good feeling to, you know, to be a freshman and for them to trust you as a starting pitcher. Um, and so my freshman year, I had, a, you know, I had a pretty good year. Obviously, um, there's some ups and downs and, you know, being at that level, learning, learning how to, 
play college baseball. So, uh, but it overall had a pretty good year and I come back from my sophomore year and, um, you know, the, after, the, after the fall, the, the coaches, you know, we, they called me in the office and we sat down and, um, you know, they told me that they thought I might be better suited as a reliever in that, um, you know, be a closer for the, for the team. Um, cause our, our bullpen had struggled my freshman year and there was really nobody on the back end of games, um, to close things out for us. And, you know, they, so they asked me to, to take on a different role and, and to assume the closer position. And so, um, I said, what, you know, whatever you need, I'm, I'll do. And, um, you know, so my sophomore year going to the season on the closer and that's where I really kind of learned, um, once getting into that situation, being a reliever, that mindset, you know, I learned that, you know, this is, this is a cool position and it's something that I was suited for. Um, you know, it's, you know, the, it's so different than basketball that being a reliever that, you know, you sit there all game, you just watch the game and you just want to be a part of the game. Um, but, you know, the, knowing that if you do get in the game, it's going to be in the, the biggest spot of the game. And so um, I, I really enjoyed, really thrived off that mentality of when the game's on the line, I'm going to have the ball in my hand. And I um, just just that, that drive, that competitive drive and the adrenaline that came with being in big spots. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. And so, you know, I got to, you know, and I had had a lot of success with it as well. So um, I closed. I was our closer sophomore and junior year, and um, you know, I, I realized that you know relieving is is what I really really love to do. So um, well, you was, t- you talked a little bit about the mentality of it. I mean, it's almost like you know you mentioned you sit on the bench the entire game. Like let's say it was basketball, you sit on the bench the entire game. They give you like you know five minutes to go under, you know, back in the practice gym and get some shots up and then say, okay, we're going to draw up, uh, the game winning three pointer for you. And it all hangs on you. And, uh, well, I mean, how, I guess, so, so walk me through, you know, you're getting those later innings. Um, you know, let's say it's a one run game that you guys have the lead and you're, you know, you're about to be brought in, you're warming up, you know, what's that mentality like for your, for you, are you trying to remain calm? Are you trying to get yourself jazzed up and fired up? I mean, how, 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 what was your approach? And then also talk about, you know, when things go wrong and, and maybe you blow a save, you know, having a short memory the next time you go back out there. Yeah. So it's, um, that is a very good analogy, you know, the basketball analogy there. Um, and I guess I never really thought of it that way, but, um, that is, you know, that is really what it's like. Um, and, and I think, you know, the first thing that, you have to have is you have to be willing and you have to want to be in those situations. Um, you know, you have to want to be the guy that takes the last shot, you know, um, there's a lot of athletes and I think that's something that just comes naturally. Um, you know, there's a lot of athletes that are great athletes, you know, great, great baseball players, great basketball players, but they just don't quite have, you know, that, that, that competitive drive and they want to have the ball in those situations. Um, so if there's any doubt in your mind about whether you want to be in those situations, then that's obviously the wrong position for you. Um, 
So I think, you know, and if you, you know, as I knew as a, as a reliever, if I ever lost, you know, that feeling that, that want to be in the biggest spots that I would, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, and then also, as you mentioned, you have to really have amnesia as a, as a reliever. Um, you know, it's, especially once you get into the big leagues, you know, the, the, the role that I was in being a left-handed reliever, um, you know, I, I'd pitch in, you know, 70, 80 games a year. So I was pitching, you know, a bunch and in, in a bunch of different games. And there were times where I'd be brought in to face, you know, one specific hitter. And that was the only hitter that I was going to face that day, but it was probably their best hitter. And there were probably guys on base. And so, um, you know, obviously to stay, stay around as long as I did and have the career I did, I had a lot of success, but there were also a lot of times where, you know, I'd come in and face that one guy and go, up a home run and and they take me out and so um that was never never a good feeling to know that the one job you had you didn't do um but um you just you really have to have you know amnesia and you know forget about what happened yesterday and just make sure that you're doing everything that you can today and for that game to put yourself in the best position and so um you know it it a lot of times where you know you get roughed up one day and then you got to come back the very next day and completely forget what happened and just you know have have confidence in what you're doing and um and going back you have to even if you had trouble the day before you still have to want the baseball in the biggest situation the next day and so like I said, I really, I really enjoyed and thrived in those situations. Well, you mentioned, you know, so you have a, a wonderful college career at Indiana State, and uh, I'm sure you had aspirations of, of, you know, playing professionally. Correct me again if I'm wrong here, but you went undrafted. Um, and how did you end up landing uh, with a minor league baseball team? So I went, yeah, 2004 was my last year at Indiana State. Um, and, you know, I, I obviously, you know, as every young baseball player does, has aspirations of playing in the major leagues. And, um, you know, senior year, um, you know, there's always scouts at our games. And um, the MLB draft is in June. And, um you know, for whatever reason, I was having success in college, and but for whatever reason, I wasn't appealing to um, professional scouts. And so, um, on draft day, my senior year, you know, draft came and went. Um, obviously, didn't get drafted. I never even received a phone call from any, you know, um, scouts or organizations. Um, so, you know, that was disappointing. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, I, I knew that. Um, with the success that I had, I knew that there was another level that I could play at. I knew that, um, you know, college baseball wasn't my ceiling. I didn't know what my ceiling was. Um, you know, my dad always told me, you know, everybody has a ceiling. And so, um, you know, you, you can only be as, you know, you, there's only so good that an individual can be. And some people, they hit their ceiling in high school. Some people hit their ceilings in college. Um, but everybody has a ceiling. And so for me, I, I felt like, you know, college baseball wasn't wasn't the ceiling for me in that. Uh, and so I after draft day, you know, I, I made a decision that, um, you know, I was going to I was going to continue it to try to find a path to keep playing. And, 
you know, honestly, you know, I, I wasn't, Oh, I enjoyed baseball so much. I didn't want to be done. So it was, you know, I was just looking for a way to keep playing baseball and, you know, a way to get to the, another level. And, um, a, a assistant coach of mine at Indiana state played for an, 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 an excuse me, an independent league team in St. Louis. Um, and so I, I packed up my stuff one afternoon and drove over to St. Louis to try out for this team, um, the River City Rascals. And um, I I showed up. They had me throw a bullpen before the game. There was four or five other players, other pitchers trying out for the team. They had already started their season, and they were in full swing. But um, independently, teams are always always looking for the next – you know, somebody to add to their team. And, um, you know, I threw a bullpen in front of those guys and they said, you know, come back tomorrow. We'll sign you to a contract. Uh, my first, my first contract was $600 a month. Um, before taxes and so uh, it wasn't a it wasn't a lot of money it wasn't glamorous or anything but it was an opportunity to keep playing baseball and um you know i had so i showed up went back the next day signed my first professional contract um and i ended up ended up finishing the 2004 season in river city started the 2005 season with the same team um and made the frontier league all-star game in july went to the all-star game for the frontier league uh through one inning had three strikeouts and the next day the milwaukee brewers called and said they wanted to they wanted to sign me and so um that was really you know the opportunity to play in an affiliated mlb organization um, you know, that was, I would have been happy, you know, where I started, I would have been happy with that. Um, if that would have been the ceiling for me, but, um, you know, I knew, so I flew out the next day from St. Louis, flew to Helena, Montana and began my career and my minor league career and, um, signed with the Brewers and, you know, looking back on the path that I took to get to where I ended up. Um, it was really a blessing because, um, you know, I got, got, got the opportunity to play, um, in in affiliated baseball, but I knew I only had one, you know, one chance to prove myself. You know, there were guys that, um, you know, first round guys that were, you know, signed for five, six million dollar bonuses. And, you know, I was playing with some of the best players in the world. They had, the Brewers had no money invested in me whatsoever. Um, and so I knew I just had, I had one opportunity and I told myself I was going to make, you know, make the most of that and just give it everything that I had. And, um, you know, with a lot of, a lot of luck, a lot of blessings, um, a lot of right place, right time. Um, I, I had a lot of success early in my career and they, they shot me up the ladder, uh, you know, really quickly. And so, um, within, within two years, um, of getting signed by the Milwaukee Brewers, I made my major league debut. So, um, it was the path obviously wasn't the traditional way, um, of getting into the major leagues, but, um, well, it was, it was a, Joe, it was a crazy I, ride. I want you to share a little bit. So, you know, we see the movies, we see, you know, reports and now obviously with social media, but what was the grind like being in the minors? I mean, you know, what's the, uh, it's, I, I correct. I don't think it's super glamorous and, 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 no. you know, and, and you're, you know, clearly you're trying to make it to the, you know, the major leagues. Does, 
with that grind does self doubt kind of creep in at some point of, okay, well, uh, how you mentioned having a ceiling, like at what point does it go? Okay. This is make or break. Like I'm either going to keep going with this or you know what, I've got to, you know, got to go in another direction. Yeah. So, I mean, it really, it, it is a grind. Um, and you know, you play even the minor leagues, you play 142 games, um, and you're playing, you know, you're playing every single day and you're not only playing every day, but you're, you know, you're taking overnight bus rides and, um, you know, you play, play one night, you know, play a game, get done at 11 o'clock, hop on a bus, drive seven or eight hours overnight and get to this, get to a new city and you're playing later that day, you're playing again. Um, but so it, it really is a grind. Um, you know, for me, I just, you know, I just kind of put my head down and, um, you know, I didn't, I just worried about controlling what I could control. Um, you know, obviously with minor league baseball, there's a lot of players, a lot of teams and the organizations, you know, make a lot of moves and there's a bunch of people ahead of you. There's people behind you. Um, but you know, for me, I, I just, you know, put my head down, um, controlled you know, I just wanted to make sure that I took care of myself the best that I could put myself in the best positions possible. Um, and so, you know, the, the day, the, the daily baseball grind, you know, once you get into it, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, you just show up every day, know you're playing every day. Um, just kind of put your head down, put your work in, go out and play, go out and compete. Um, and, you know, don't think of, of, you know, outside circumstances, don't think of large picture things for me. It was, what can I do today, you know, to make sure that, uh, that I'm the best I can be today. And then, um, you know, you, you spend all, all day trying, you know, all day trying to be your best that day. And then you wake up the next day and you just do it again. What can I do today to get better? And, um, you know, eventually that, that routine and that, that, that part of the daily grind becomes your routine and you just do it day after day. And then before you know it, you know, you look up and you've had, you know, you had a good year, the year's over, you had a good year. Um, you put yourself, you know, on, on people's radars. And, um, so it's, it's definitely not glamorous and it's not for everybody. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of bad food, a lot of, bad hotels and a lot of long bus rides. Um, but you know, looking back on it, um, you know, you're, you're playing, you know, some of the best players in the world and, um, you know, it's, you're with 25 other guys and, uh, that are all in the same position as you. So it, we do, you looking back on it, you know, I had, you know, a lot of fun, you know, playing, playing minor league baseball and just uh, for baseball in general, if you don't enjoy the journey, um, if, if all you're doing is your goal, you're, if all you're trying to do is get to the major leagues and that's all you care about and you don't appreciate where you are and what you have and the things going on around you, then, um, you're probably, you're probably not going to be successful. The ones that the guys that were, I played with were successful, the ones that, you know, enjoyed the journey and enjoyed the process and always had a positive outlook on everything that was going on. Um, which, you know, I think teaches you a lot of life lessons. What was it like the day that you finally got the call? I mean, you've been grinding, you've been in the minors, and now you you get the official call. What was it like? And then walk me through, like, I mean, are they telling you, okay, hop on a plane here, here's what's going to happen, show up to the ballpark, uh, and share share with us those emotions? Yeah, so it was 2007, um, July 26th, I believe, 2007, and I was um, – like I did, it was two years before I'd been signed by the Brewers and 
where I shot up all the way through their system from rookie ball to, um, you know, low A, high A, double A, triple A. So July of 2007, I found myself in triple A with the Brewers in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, we actually, that day we had uh, a morning game. They, they call them camp days. So um, that's one of the great perks about the minor leagues is every once in a while they'll throw in like a 10 o'clock start for you um, so that kids and camps can, can, can come out and watch games, which they are, they are really neat once you get the game going. Um, but we had an early game and – so that afternoon, after the game was over, I made some plans um, with some guys to go fishing. Uh, and I was in my apartment just getting ready to go, and the phone rings, and it's our manager in Nashville. And um, he, he says, well, what are you doing right now? I said, I'm getting ready to go fishing. And he says, well, you can't go. And I was like, well, that's weird. Why can't I go fishing? <laughs> and he said, well, you just been – you just been traded to the San Diego Padres and he said, and you're going to the big leagues tomorrow. And so, um, obviously that was an unexpected phone call. Um, so finding out I was traded and, you know, finally realizing that dream, um, of going to the big leagues and the same phone call was, uh, you know, it was a cool, it was obviously a cool moment. Um, and so he said at the time the Padres were, in first place in their division and in the playoff race. And so they needed a left-handed reliever. And um, for whatever reason, Kevin Towers, at the general manager at the time, um, you know, he wanted me to be on that team. And so they made a trade to get me. And um, so uh, it was <clears throat> I got off the phone with, with my manager and called my parents and, um, you know, told them that I was – the same thing that I've been traded and that tomorrow I was going to be in the big leagues. Um, I was going to meet the, meet the Padres, um, in, in he, they were at the, at the time they were in Houston. Um, so the next morning I got up, uh, and, uh, flew from Nashville, Tennessee to Houston, Texas, and, uh, got in at about noon, got my bags and I went straight to the stadium and, um, it was, you know, obviously walking in and seeing your locker and your your jersey, and you're hanging there with your name on a big league jersey uh, was, you know, it was a cool moment. And um, I, I was that was the second one there at the second uh, team teammate there uh, because, like I said, it was early. Um, and the only person that arrived before me was uh, Greg Maddox. <laughs> so one of the best pitchers of all time, a guy I grew up watching, um, you know, was was the first person, first teammate that I met. And so that was kind of a, a surreal moment of, um, you know, getting to meet somebody that, that was one of your idols. Uh, but then, you know, realizing at that moment that not only is, you know, you get to meet him, but that he's now your teammate. And mm-hmm. so he expects you to perform and, and, and help help him in the ball club win. Um, so uh, that was, you know, that was uh, obviously a cool moment. Well, um, what was it like? So you mentioned you see Greg Maddox, obviously, for the first time at Hall of Famer. And 
I'm sure over a period of time, you know, the longer, I mean, you played nine seasons that the awe factor probably diminishes a little bit, but those first few starts, you know, first few opportunities that you get called into a, you know, a major league baseball game, what's it like, you know, playing in the, the big parks and then seeing guys that you've seen on TV and actually pitching against those guys for the first time in your career, what kind of nerves, uh, or, or, or did you just, you know, or were you able to just get through that pretty easily? Yeah, it, did, it didn't take long. Um, you know, that I, that first day I, I got to Houston, you know, I, I got I pitched in that first game. So um, I was the first reliever out of the bullpen that day even. So, um, you know, I didn't have – didn't have a lot of time to take anything in um, before I knew for the phone ring and they told me I was in the game and I was running out, you know, onto my first out on the mound for my first big league game. And, you know, I don't, I still don't remember a lot about it. Um, you know, I was kind of numb to what was going on. Um, but it, it was, you know, obviously exciting. And I struck out the first, first hitter I faced, um, you know, I had a one, two, three inning and, uh, you know, my parents got to fly down and be there. So that was, you know, a cool moment. And then, um, you know, it was, I actually had a lot of, you know, ups and downs early and I was, uh, I had a lot of, I didn't have a lot of success early and, um, you know, I, I was sent back down to triple a within a couple of days of making my first, you know, debut. And, um, I think all in all between that time in 2007 and 2009, you know, I was up and down between the big leagues and triple a, it was probably close to 15 times. Um, and so, you know, I had to learn how to handle failure at the same time that I was, and I was learning how to, you know, learn, I was handling, learning how to handle failure on a, on a big stage. But, um, you know, after a while, you know, you, you just, you have to find that confidence in yourself and yeah, you get to, you know, you get to meet hall of famers and play with hall of famers and you get to face hall of famers, you know, people that you grew up watching. And, um, but you know, when it comes down to it, you know, you're, you're there for a reason. And so for me, I never really, you know, paid attention or let uh, allow myself to think about who I was really facing at the time. You know, for me, it was, you know, all once again, just controlling what I can control and not worrying about who I was facing, just making sure that I was making good pitches um, and, you know, putting myself in the very best position possible and then just letting things happen. Um, so, but yeah, it was, you know, I, even after, you know, nine years in, in the big leagues, you know, even at the end of my career, you know, I'd still make sure that, you know, at least, you know, once a day that I would just take the time, kind of look around and say, you know, just, you know, be thankful, take it all in, never, you know, never take for granted, mm-hmm. you know, that where I was and what I was doing. Um, so I think, you know, that, you know, that that it was, it becomes a, your routine and you do get used to, you know, eventually staying in nice hotels and traveling on private planes and, you know, pitching in front of 40,000 people. Um, you know, it does, you know, it does, it can become, you know, kind of monotonous at times. It's, it's still a long season, even with all those amenities. Um, and you feel like you're missing a lot of things. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you're doing, you're living through what, you know, every, every single kid that 
puts on a baseball uniform and play little league. That's, you know, they, the, that's the dream and you get to live that out every day. So I just made sure I never took for granted where I was and, um, always appreciated the fact that, you know, I got to put on a big league uniform every day. You know, we all watch these, a lot of these guys that come in the games now, um, throwing, you know, 95 to a hundred, you were a little bit unusual. Uh, you threw two pitches, a cut fastball, 83 to 87 and a slider around what, 77 to 79. What made you so effective, uh, and in, in getting guys out, was it your delivery, your location? Um, and the other thing I was curious about is at the big league level with all the technology, I mean, how much scouting are you doing on hitters and getting scouting reports as you go to the mound? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I obviously wasn't um, a guy, you know, and especially these days even. I mean, it seems like every now everybody that comes out of the bullpen is throwing 100 miles an hour. Um, so, but I was, you know, I, I had a lot of deception um, to what I was doing. Uh, my delivery was a little a little unorthodox, a little, um, it was unusual, kind of a almost sidearm delivery. Um, and so I was really effective. Um the way I threw, I was really effective against other left-handed hitters. Um, and, you know, I, I, had, I had a lot of success against right-handers too, but, you know, my job, the reason I was, you know, on these teams was, um, you know, to, to get left-handed hitters out. And, um, you know, the, the way I threw with the deception um, added, you know, it, it was hard for hard for guys to pick up the baseball. Um, so even though I was throwing – even in my prime, you know, when I was, you know, 87 to 89, um, the way I threw, I think it, it appeared to the hitters that I was throwing a lot harder because they had, they had a lot hard, they had trouble, you know, picking the ball up out of my hand. Um, so really, you know, having deception, uh, was, you know, it really helped me, but at the same time, you know, I, um, I, th- I think when my, my mentality of, you know, always being aggressive, throwing as many strikes as I possibly could and just going, you know, attacking guys, going after guys was, you know, that was always made sure that was my mindset that um, I was never going to be scared of anybody. So I was always, always on the attack. Um, so I think that helped me as well. But then, um, you know, I think, you know, all the preparation I put into, being on that mound, I knew that, um, you know, that I was going to throw strikes. I could throw the ball where I wanted to. Um, and then kind of, you know, leading up to your second part of the question, you know, knowing that I was prepared when I stepped on the mound for any situation, knowing that the, who I was facing in the box, you know, that I knew, you know, everything about that person. Um, so the, the, the technology, um, you know, from the, from the beginning of my career to the end of my career, obviously it, uh, with, you know, social media and, and, and everything that's available technology wise, there's a lot more exposure for guys and, um, for players for scouting reports wise. But, um, the teams I were on, you know, they, we, we made a, you know, they always, there was a commitment to putting together the best scouting reports possible. And so, you know, we would have, um, you know, before every series, um, you know, we'd have, we'd get together as a pitching staff. We'd show up at the ballpark before batting practice. We'd all get together in our meeting rooms and, you know, we'd go over, um, you know, we go each the, their opponents, we'd go over all their hitters. We'd go hitter by hitter. We'd just go over them. We'd watch video of them. Uh, we had, you know, handwritten scouting reports that our coaches would put together that we were expected to, to know. 
Um, and so there was any, any and all information that you could possibly want, we had access to. Um, so, you know, having that preparation of knowing physically you put the work in that day to, to be at your best, knowing that, um, you know, mentally that you were prepared, um, you know, the, all those things gave you the confidence when you stepped on the mound and it was time to go that, you know, that you were going to have success. Um, so there was a lot of scouting reports, but, you know, baseball is different too, to where, um, you know, for me, it was uh, whoever I was facing, I would know their weaknesses and what the plan was. But, you know, for me, I was always wanting to, um, you know, no matter what what the scouting report said, I was going to just, you know, make sure that I was throwing my best pitches, that I, would, I wasn't going to get beat, you know, being scared, being timid, trying not, you know, giving somebody too much respect that, um, you know, even no matter what the situation called for, I was, I was going to do what I felt was best for me, um, and, and kind of you know put the, you know put the circumstances in my hands and, and let it all on the line, and you know just whatever happens happens. Um, so it was there was a lot of preparation going into it, but um, the same thing it just goes back to that mentality of always being always being aggressive and not being scared or timid of, of anybody. What do you remember about your either best strikeout or best pitching performance um, while you were in the major leagues? Yeah, I, I was. Always, I had an opportunity to be in a lot of games. I pitched in over you know 400 major league games. Um, you know, I think one of the best memories was um, yeah, it goes all the way back to my rookie year in 2007. We ended up after 162 games we were tied with the Colorado Rockies um, for the division title and so uh, at the time it was really rare but we had a one game a one game playoff with the Rockies to see who won the division so who was moving on in the playoffs and who was who was going home Um, and so the Rockies that year had went on an unbelievable run where I believe they won 22 out of 23 games um, to finish a year and they caught us and so um, we had to fly to we lost in the last game of the year um, and they won so we had to fly to Colorado for a one game playoff and um, that was my first you know first taste of playoff baseball and what that really meant and you know having you know the atmosphere of 40,000 people you know just living on dying with each pitch um, and the pageantry before the game the flyovers and um, it, it was that atmosphere the seat did taste that the first time was really awesome um we ended up going extra innings that day so um i pitched i came in in the uh 11th inning with uh guys on second and third with two outs and so i'd sat as a rookie i'd sat in that atmosphere for 11 innings um and just was waiting on my chance obviously a lot of nervous energy down there um but i got in and um had a had a big strikeout struck out brad hop another lefty to get out of that situation to allow you know allow us to to keep playing um because if he gets a base hit there you know the game's over um and we go home so that was a big moment for me went back out for the 12th inning of that game had a one two three inning um so you know stepping onto that stage for the first time national tv and that atmosphere and uh you know being knowing that i 
you know, I, I handled the situation the way I did just gave me all the confidence in the world and just allowed me to, to know that no matter what situation I was put in, that I, I was ready and I could handle that situation. Yeah. That sounds, uh, um, more torture than anything else. I can sit there for 11 innings. <laughs> yeah, and have I, I think my parents, you know, watching, you know, I, I heard from other people, friends and family that, you know, they were almost getting sick and that, that, that they were at home watching that game on national TV and knowing the situation I was in. But uh, honestly, you know, I felt once I got out there, you know, I was, I felt, felt a calmness. Um, and, and, you know, knowing that I had the ball in my hand that, you know, what, what the outcome was up to me. I think, I think a lot of times parents don't, you know, they, they want, they, they want their kids to succeed as much as the kid wants to succeed, yeah, but yeah. they all they can do is watch. And I think that's a, a tough spot to be in. So, um, you know, I, like I said, I, I got out there and it just felt like every other game. So for me, that was a big confidence boost. Well, I remember watching uh, several of those games, but in our household, I mean, I watched several, but uh, Trent, uh, my brother, old T was always checking up uh, and sending me text messages or, you know, anytime you were about to get in the game. Um, so that's kind of how I uh, would know when you were on TV because Trent would keep me updated on stuff. But, uh, you know, <laughs> when, when you're when you're playing, you know, you, you traveled a lot. You were with, uh, I think, nine different teams, maybe something like that. Um, you're going from city to city. You know, how is it um, just from a lifestyle standpoint? Do you do you do you wake up and, and not realize where you're at half the time? Yeah, it's <laughs> it actually happened. You know, quite a bit where you'd wake up and you think, well, what city am I in? It takes you a few minutes to, you know, think about, you know, where you are. Uh, and every time that happened, I'd just laugh um, because I knew that was um, that wasn't really reality. But it was something I got, you know, the opportunity to live um, and obviously you know, I played in all parts of the of the country and played in different countries. Um, got to see a lot of the world playing baseball. So, um, you know, I was grateful. You know, I really I really enjoyed you know the travel and um, you know going different places and seeing different things. Um, you know, but that that was especially when I was single um, and younger. Um, you know, the the idea that you could travel around and. Um, you know, see a lot of cool things was, was neat. Um, then once, once I got married and, um, you know, started having kids it, that all kind of changes, uh-huh. um, you know, you, those are, then you, you know, you, you go on road trips, 10 day road trips and you're leaving, leaving your wife and kids. Um, you know, that's, that's a whole different grind, um, to be in a major leaguer. Um, but, um, it's, you know, that my, my wife and, you know, she, she enjoyed the, she enjoyed traveling as well. So, um, you know, wherever I was playing that year, you know, we'd get an apartment and she'd come out and she'd come on a lot of road trips. And then once we had the kids, you know, they were just, just young. Um, but you know, I, my, my little boy is now five years old and I know, you know, we, we just went to the Cubs game, uh, two nights ago and, um, you know, he was, he remembers seeing me, you know, out there on, on, you know, in, in big league games. And he remembers, you know, a lot of, a lot of parts of, you know, the major league. So I hope, you know, for me, that's, that's gratifying. I hope he continues to remember those things. Um, he can be proud of his dad. Um, but, um, it's, it's definitely, a. You know, the big league lifestyle is, um, I, I think it gets 
over dramatized a lot on movies and um you know there's there is a lot of temptations there's a lot of a lot of trouble a lot of things you can have access to exposure to but um you know for me i was just a you know a kid from a small town in, in the midwest and i didn't have any interest in you know all the things that were going on so and i knew that you know for me i you know, I, I had to commit myself every day to be the best that I could be because that's what it took for me to stay there. You know, there's a lot of guys that all the talent in the world um, that can just show up and play. So they, you know, they don't have to commit themselves every single day. And I think if you do that, there's a lot of you know, temptations and there's a lot of things that can happen. But, um, you know, I like I said, I I enjoyed enjoyed the travel enjoyed the lifestyle um and you know but you know for me you know i'd come home in the off seasons i'd still come back to kokomo and you know i still live here now with my family so nothing nothing really changed me well you had an unbelievable career and uh, obviously i mean we grew up together i mean you know we're both from kokomo you made our city proud and it's been it's been neat to see uh you know some of the ways that you've invested back in the city and and now that you're um you know starting pro x um i want to shift i want to just ask you some some questions i'm sure people are curious about um in regards to baseball um Currently, we just had the All-Star game, 10 home runs in the All-Star game, and then strikeouts. What is your thoughts on the current state of the game where it seems like it's either strikeouts or the long ball? And would that be to your benefit or um, you know, would you be better suited to play in this era or the era you were in? Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, I liked facing guys that were all or nothing. Um because with my deception and movement, it was hard. A lot of guys had trouble, you know, putting the barrel of the ball, um, put, or putting the the barrel of the bat onto the ball. Um, and so I, I I didn't like the you know the little slap hitters that had real compact swings. Um, you know, for me, I, I liked facing the big swingers because I you know I felt like um, you know the the chances of them um you know hitting a, hitting a home run were slim and the chances of me you know getting a strikeout were higher um you know f- the state of the game you know that is for me that's an issue i think overall um i think you know people like home runs uh, and they're exciting but um for me it kind of takes some of the nuances out of the game you know i like the old school baseball of um you know trying to steal second base or laying down you know sack bunts um all the all the little things that make baseball you know the great game that it is um you know they've kind of been lost with it but you know at the same time um you know there's metrics and there's scientific numbers behind all this stuff that you know prove the best ways to win are to not give up outs on the bases and not give up outs on the bunts and you know try to hit as many home runs as you can um you know so you know for me like i said i I think i would have had a lot of success um with the way the game is played today but i think on a grand scale that some of the nuances and subtleties of the game of baseball are kind of getting lost and um all the strikeouts i think from a fan perspective um I think it kind of slows the game down and, um, but you know, I don't think it's, it, it's all a lot of it. Baseball has always been cyclical where, um, you know, it's always, always changing. It's always evolving. So, um, I'm sure somebody before long will come up with a new approach to the game. And so, um, it, it's always, it's always changing. 
Well, I think you see that in sports across the board. I mean, right now in the NBA, it's all three-pointers, threes, and layups. I mean, heck, the Houston Rockets don't do anything. They don't shoot any mid-range shots. And, you know, the big man's kind of diminishing. Well, at some point, you know, at some point, it's kind of like uh, the Lakers right now. um, They're signing all these knuckleheads, but their thought process (laughs) is, hey, we're not going to beat them shooting all these threes. Like, you know, we're going to have to do something different. So, you know, it's probably, you know, probably similar in baseball. How do you feel about the pitch clock? Um, You know, as a casual fan, right? I feel like sometimes the game, um, you know, can drag on a little bit and, and, you know, with the sports the way they are today, you watch a soccer game, it's over in 90 minutes, you know, uh, football's bang, bang, basketball's bang, bang. And I know Major League Baseball wants to get more and more fans, you know, involved, um, you know, in the game. What do you think about the pitch clock? And if it's not the pitch clock, like what are some other answers you think to, to speed things up? Yeah, I think, you know, they're, I think Major League Baseball is on the right track of trying to shorten games um, a little bit. Um, you know, the pitch clock for me, I was always a guy that, you know, I'd, I'd like to work fast. Um, I'd like to get in a rhythm. So I didn't spend a lot of time walking around the mound, rubbing up the baseball. You know, for me, I wanted to get the ball back from the catcher and step on the mound and get right back to it um, and get in a, a, a groove. Um, you know, the, I think that is an issue. So for me, you know, I think I think the pitch clock um, – you know, they implemented that in the minor leagues, um, you know, a couple years ago. And so I had a little bit of when I was rehabbing from some injuries down there, um, you know, I, I got got a feel for, you know, got to see see the pitch clock. And it, I don't think it really it doesn't really affect most guys. Um, so, you know, for me, I think it's it's a good thing. Um, I like I like the pitch clock. Um but you know, it, for the game, you know, as a whole, um, you know, I, it's. I think baseball it always has been. You know, it's it's a game that um, you know it takes an appreciation. You have to learn the game, and you have to learn the subtleties. And there's always that romantic, you know, baseball fans. It's it's almost a romantic feeling with the game that, you know, it, you know, it's going to be a three three and a half hour game, but you're at the ballpark and you're taking in the sights and the sounds, and you're having, you know, having a hot dog, having the beer, you know, knowing that, you know, you you got your kids at the game that you get you get time to spend, you know, with those kids, and it's, um, you know. So for me, I, I think, you know, I know the young kids this, in this young generation, um, they, you know, they, they like to be entertained at all times. They like fast paced moving games. Um, but, you know, I, I think there will always be, you know, the, the baseball fan. And I think, um, you know, that young kids, I think, you know, people or major league baseball is worried about losing, you know, interest as, because they don't, they're not hitting the young fan base. But I think, you know, as, as people grow up and they mature and, you know, they they learn the game of baseball, I think there will always be that fan base that just loves loves the game of baseball. And um, so the, the young kids now, you know, they learn, they, they'll learn the game and they'll, they'll grow into that next generation of baseball fans. Well, I think it's just, you know, not just baseball, but other sports in general. I mean, you know, we live in a society that's uh, microwave, a generation, you know, they won't, like you said, instant uh, gratification. There's a lot of things. I mean, cable networks, uh, different sports being able to, you know, keep their fan bases and increase their fan bases. Um, umpires, you know, you see them all over, the, you know, during the game. 
how much leeway as a pitcher do you have to argue, you know, balls and strikes? Um, you see, you know, we tune into the games and you see a, a looks like a pitcher may do nothing and get, you know, thrown out. And then you may see, you know, a pitcher get away with a lot more. What's, you know, talking to me about that and some of maybe your experiences, uh, you know, with an umpire. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, baseball is a little different than, you know, I think especially the NBA, um, which one of the, one of the things for me as a basketball fan, I just, you know, the NBA, the way that the players treat the officials to me is, um, it's, it's embarrassing sometimes. Um, 100% so, agree. 100% agree. You know, baseball wise, you know, there's always been a respect between, you know, players and umpires. And I think, um, you know, there's always the good blow ups from managers that people are exciting and there's yelling back and forth. But, um, you know, for the most part is, you know, there, as long as you respect the umpire and you just don't show them up, um, you know, there's subtle ways, you know, to, to influence umpires. And, you know, after an inning, you see a lot of times, you know, a pitcher's walking off the field and, you know, he'll just kind of, you know, as he's walking by, just casually, you know, ask the umpire, Hey, where was that pitch? Or why wasn't that a strike? Or, um, you know, the hitters, you know, a lot of times they don't, you know, they're talking a lot with the umpires. It's hard to see on TV, but you know, if a ball is, you know, hits the outside, you know, outside corner, you know, a lot of times, uh, hitters, you know, they'll ask the umpire without turning around, you know, is that, you know, is that, was that as far as you're going to go? Is that, you know, was that a strike, you know, so the, in the catchers, you know, obviously they, the umpires are behind them. They have their masks on. There's a lot of communication between, you know, catchers and umpires during at bats and during games, but it's, you know, as long as, you know, the, the, the catcher doesn't, you know, turn around and let everybody know he's talking to the umpire and the hitters the same way, pitchers the same way. As long as you just, you're not showing up the umpire, um, you know, you can get away with a lot. Um, but at the same time, you, you know, I think traditionally baseball players have always had respects, respect for the umpire. And so, um, you know, for me, you know, for me too, you know, umpires were one of those circumstances that, you know, I couldn't control. Um, so I never, I never worried about who was behind home plate or, you know, who was calling balls and strikes or what their zone was like, you know, for me, it was, that was one of the last things on my mind. It was, for me, it was, you know, I was focused on what I had to do and, you know, executing my pitches. And if, as a pitcher, if you start worrying about balls and strikes, um, you're, you're not going to have a lot of success. Most difficult batter you ever faced, uh, most difficult batter to get out. Uh, for me, especially early in my career, was Todd Helton uh, with the Rockies, um, you know, a left-handed hitter, and really, you know, one of the best best hitters in in the in our era. Um, you know, being in Colorado, um, he does probably doesn't get as a lot of the respect, you know, admiration that he deserves if he was playing you know, on the Yankees or Red Sox, you know, he'd be one of, he'd be one of the all-time greats. Um, you know, he's a, you know, for sure Hall of Famer, had one of the best careers uh, in the history of baseball. Um, and, and especially when I first came up, he was in his prime, um, you know, facing him was about the only person that I felt like, um, you know, I, 
I'd throw a pitch and just I just hope that he hit it. He I knew he's going to hit it hard. Uh, whether I threw a fastball away, if I threw a fastball away, I knew he was going to you know hit a line drive in the left center field gap. And if I threw a breaking ball, it's, for some reason he'd be on it and he'd pull it for a home run. Um, so <laughs> it was not always a good feeling. Um, so for me, it was you know, it was really the only one of the few times where I just you know I just kind of hoping you know I'd make as as good a pitch as I could and just kind of hoped he hit it at somebody. So um, towards the end of my career, you know, as I was getting into my prime, you know, he was kind of on the back end of his career, and I had um, you know, started to experience some success against him um, later in his career. But um, those early on in my career, you know, I knew you know I'd wake up. And knew if we're playing the Rockies, you know, he'd be the first person I'd think of. I'd open my <laughs> eyes and, oh, we got the, um, I have to face Todd Helton today. This is not good. So, um, but, you know, he was, he, but he was one of the best hitters, you know, of our generation. So, um, you know, it was, it, it was still a lot of fun to pitch against somebody of that caliber. Yeah, I don't think there's any shame there. I know one year he was at least in the mix for, you know, a triple crown. Obviously didn't do it, but yeah, no no shame uh yeah. and Todd Helton. What was your favorite park that you ever pitched in? Um yeah, I got to play and, and that was one of the things I was uh, you know, most proud of is uh and it, I didn't finish it until um, you know, the my last in 2015 when I was with the Astros we played um, the Yankees in the wild card game in Yankee Stadium and that was that was the last stadium that I, I had not you know played in and so um after that game, you know, I was I checked off every stadium, so I got to get got to play in every city, every stadium in the major leagues. Um, and for me, um, my home, you know, early on, my home field in San Diego. Uh, San Diego is beautiful. I'd never been to Southern California before I got traded to the Padres. Um, that, that stadium out there is beautiful. Um, you know, San Francisco being on the water. And their their fans, their atmosphere, it's a special place. Um, but then obviously, you know, the the traditional ballparks, Wrigley Field and Fenway, um, you know, the first time you, 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 you walk into those stadiums, you feel the history, um, you know that, you know, that, obviously being a baseball fan i love the history of baseball um so you know you walk in walk into those you know the, walk in the stadiums there and you just it, it just feels different um and you walk into clubhouses and sit in the dugouts you know the best the greats of you know the babe Ruths and the jackie robinsons and the you know the, the all-time the ted williams the all-time greats you know they this is the same dugout. This is the same field, same mound, same batter's box that, that those guys got to play in um, is, you know, that's, that's a really cool feeling. Um, so the, you know, those traditional ballparks, you know, I think, you know, the first time you step into those is, is something really cool. Baseball is a game of rituals, routines. Uh, what's the most unique, um, you know, whether it be during a winning streak, losing streak, weirdest thing that you've seen from a routine standpoint uh, in baseball? Um, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I I was very I wasn't superstitious, but I was very routine oriented. Um, yeah, one of my coaches early on in, in the minor leagues told me that, you know, your routine is is the most important thing 
you know, to be in having success as a professional baseball player. Um, and because it's, it's such a grind day in, day out that you have to find a routine that works for you. And so, you know, for me, I would, um, you know, I would get my routine and it kind of evolved over the years, but, you know, by the end of it, you know, I would, I would always shower in the same, same shower head. Um, I would always, um, get dressed the same way, whether it was, you know, uh, putting on my socks before, you know, putting on my Jersey. And, um, I just, like I said, it wasn't superstition. I always, I hated, I always picked one, one glove. Um, and I, you know, a lot of guys, you know, with our contracts and our endorsement deals, you know, you, you get access to as many gloves as you want. And there were guys that would use a new glove every day. And, you know, for me, I wanted to, I wanted the same glove every day. I wanted the same feel. I wanted the same cleats. You know, I, I, for me, that was all part of, of my routine. Um, there are definite, um, you know, superstitions out there, um, you know, and, a lot of it was, you know, you, once you, once a team gets on a winning streak, um, you know, whether it's the same, you know, the same food in the clubhouse or whether it's the same, uh, you know, it's the same, you know, song before every game. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things that, you know, winning streaks create and they're a lot of fun when you're in them. Um, but you know, for me, it wasn't superstition, but it was, um, you know, for me, it was all about routine day in, day out. Give me the most memorable bench clearing brawl you were part of. And then walk me through when a brawl takes place, you guys are coming out of the bullpen. Like what's the mentality and what's really going on down in the field? (laughs) Well, I was, uh, in college, we got in a we got in a good brawl uh, with Illinois State. Um, it, it was, that was a real fight. You know, a lot of baseball fights are a lot of talking and pushing. Uh, that was that was a real fight. The cops were called. We had to cancel the game. Uh, <laughs> so that, that was uh, that was you know that was kind of fun. It's too um, bad that was pre uh, Instagram and Twitter yeah, Twitter era. Yeah, that would have been a good yeah one. exactly yep. Um, you know, I was, there were a couple, you know, fights, um, we got into, a uh, we got into a brawl with, uh, the Dodgers one year. Um, it was Carlos Quentin was in a lot of the, the baseball stuff. It kind of starts with individuals. Um, so Carlos Quentin and, uh, Zach Greinke, there had been a history there with those two, even before they were on the Dodgers and Padres. Um, and, and so they had a history going back and, um, <laughs> Carlos actually told our manager, uh, before the game that he said, if Zach hits me, you know, again, he's hit me four or five times and it's always been kind of up and in. And he said, if he hits me again, I'm just, you know, I'm going to have to go, I'm going to have to charge after him and go get him. And so our manager said, you know, Buddy Black at the time said, you know, you do what you got to do. And I think it was, his, it was his first at bat of the game. And, uh, sure enough, Grinky kind of hits him up and in, and in the shoulder and, um, people were caught off guard by it, but, um, you know, Zach charged or Carlos charged Zach and, um, ended up breaking his collar. He broke Zach Grinky's collarbone with the collision. <laughs> Carlos was a big man. Um, so Zach kind of got the, the raw end of that deal. Um, but, uh, most of the time, you know, you know, it's, it's between individuals. It's, it's not teams. Um, and, and as a reliever, you know, you're, you're kind of out in the bullpen. You're, 
um, kind of not privy to, to some of the intensity that's going on in the field. So, um, you know, most of the time there's, you know, most people know it's, you know, you have to protect yourself and protect your teammates. And that's always been part of the game of baseball. Um, but, you know, it, most people aren't looking to, you know, get in fights and you respect <laughs> You respect your opponents, and you know you know that. Especially nowadays, there's it's, these are people's livelihoods, and there's millions of dollars on the line. So you don't want to you don't want to ruin somebody's career, and then you know in return, you know ruin their you know their livelihood and you know their their way that they provide for their families. And um, so there's you know there's baseball brawls. You know there there's they're fun. Um, they can be fun. Uh, but you know, a lot of times it's, it's just protecting yourself and protecting your teammates. Well, I think both, both, uh, NBA and, and major league baseball, uh, you got to protect the moneymaker. I mean, there's no helmet, you know, so, right. uh, and, and obviously your craft, you know, nobody's trying to break their hand most of the time. It's a lot of that, you know, all right, I'm going to charge you. All right, hold me back, hold me back, you know, business. Yep, exactly. that, uh, but every once in a while it cuts loose. And I remember, um, that brawl in, at Indiana state and, boy, that would have been a, that'd have been all over the news these days. Last, last question for you. And I'll get you out of here. You know, baseball has allowed you to do so many neat things and and gone to places and part of things that maybe you never dreamed of. Give me the most unique thing, person, place um, that you've been allowed access to or be part of uh, that being part of major league baseball, um, you know, gave you. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, you know, there was so many things um, that I got to experience. Uh, one of the coolest things was uh, when I was with the Arizona Diamondbacks in um, 2014, uh, we actually opened ML, Major League Baseball, did a um, kind of an outreach, um, kind of a global expansion. And um, we we got to actually open the MLB season against the Dodgers in Sydney, Australia. Um, so we got to go over to Australia. Uh, we flew over there as a team, got to spend the week over there. Uh, we actually played in, they converted, um, a rugby stadium or excuse me, a cricket stadium, um, into a baseball field. Um, and you know, it was kind of the Yankee stadium over there of, of their cricket. Um, and so, you know, I got to take my wife on that trip and, um, you know, obviously, you know, Sydney, Australia is a long ways away and probably won't ever get get back there again with the opportunity to you know go see a completely other side of the world and not only just go see it but you know um you know play play baseball there and um it was it was really cool that all their you know everybody all the australian people were excited to have us there and it was it was a big deal um so that was and that was really cool. And then um, the other, you know, being in San Diego um, with the big military presence in San Diego, uh, as an organization, we had a really good uh, relationship with with the military and having the you know the Marine bases and the SEALs, their all their training going on at Coronado, um, you know we got access to see a lot of that kind of see, you know, go out to go out there out to Coronado and actually see the Navy SEALs, you know, in their, in their training and, um, you know, getting the tank, you know, going tank rides and, um, you know, seeing all of their, you know, all their equipment. And, um, you know, then when we went to DC a couple of times, we got a special access and into the Pentagon and, um, you know, the white house and, you know, it's just some special things that, um, most of the public doesn't get to see that, you know, being, 
being who we were and part of you know Major League Baseball. You got kind of behind the scenes look at some of those things. So that was you know really cool as well. So um, you know I th- it, it's it's still you know I've been done retired now for two years and there's still you know things that I kind of forgot about you know that memories pop up or you know wow I forgot I got to do that you know something triggers a memory and um, you know this. I got to do so many things that, you know, I, I forget, I think I forget some of the stuff I actually got to do. So, um, but they're, you know, being a major league baseball, you provided, you know, so many cool things and got to see so many things be a part of, uh, so much that, um, you know, I'll, I'm always grateful, you know, getting to play in the major leagues, um, you know, was, you know, obviously the dream for me and getting there, but also getting to experience, you know, all the things I did. I'll forever be grateful to the game of baseball. Well, you've had an incredible career and, and we really enjoyed, I know I enjoyed today hearing um, some of the aspects that even as your friend, I didn't know about. And I also think it's cool. I think there are a lot of former athletes that uh, struggle with what's their next stage in their career. And I think it's awesome that you have a really clear vision with pro X development and giving back and staying part of the game and using, you know, your knowledge to, to impact the next generation. Joe, give us a final update here on what's the kind of the timeline or time frame for uh, Pro X, uh, the building being completed and, and up and running, you know, full, full go. Yeah, so we, we started Pro X um, last, you know, last fall it was really when we kind of decided to pull a trigger on it and, and build this business. Um, we, we found a temporary home uh, kind of last minute, um, last last fall. Um, and so we, we do have, we went ahead and started, you know, started Pro X, uh, started the operations of it, um, which has you know, really been beneficial for us. Um, so we signed a year lease um, in some warehouse Space and um, we put turf down and nets and um, some weight weight room equipment. So we we've been in we've been in operating since November, uh, but really, uh, you know the the state of the art sixty thousand square foot facility that's going to set us apart from everybody else. Um, you know we're it, we had our groundbreaking ceremony uh, three or four weeks ago, um, and you know we've ordered the steel, and so uh, we're looking at you know sometime in in. December December, um, right before hopefully the new year, um, you know, our building will be, be up and, um, you know, we'll have all the turf down and, you know, it's, it's, it's a big project to turn into a big project, but, um, it's going to be a state of the art facility. We've made the investment and all the technology and, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for this thing to, you know, to be built and there's going to definitely be a wow factor, you know, when people walk in the building, um, you know, they're, they're going to feel, you know, that feel like they're somewhere special, which is what we, what we want to provide. So, um, it's, it's, it's been a lot of hard work and, um, a lot of people have put in a lot of hours to get to this point. Um, and there's a lot of work ahead, obviously in building a successful business, but, um, you know, hope by, you know, the December of this year, we'll be, we'll be in our new home. Well, I have no doubt about it. It'll be successful. Sounds like a, uh, unique, um, you know, sports facility, uh, training facility here in the Midwest that is much needed. So enjoyed the conversation today, Joe, and best of luck with everything. We'll be rooting for you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, AP. It's good to talk to you, buddy. Special thanks to Joe for joining the podcast this week. 
awesome stories on his baseball career, tremendous insight to what a Major League Baseball player thinks and the process they go through on a yearly basis. Also, I think it's pretty cool what he's doing with his post-career, starting Pro-X development, the impact that's going to have on Central Indiana. I encourage everybody to check it out. I think it's going to be a really special deal. Also, be sure to go and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Rate us. Let us know what you think. And I hope everybody has a great week. And thanks again for joining us.